0: Thanks for coming today. Hello, everyone. We're visiting as well, so (laughs) nice to see you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, thank you very much for the introduction. Thank you very much, LCF, for uh, hosting us and inviting us to come and uh, share our story with you, why we're here in Landmark, and uh, a little bit of what I think is God's heart for youth, young people, but all of us as well. Um, Yeah, so my name is Joel Fortune, I am the brother of Jessica. We, I don't know, six, eight months ago, we found ourselves in the Lower Mainland uh, trying to survive on one salary and raising these four uh, rambunctious kids, I apologize in advance, Um, raising these wonderful four children and just feeling a little bit pressured, trying to think of, well, I'm not really sure what we're doing here anymore, maybe God's got something else for us, and uh, we started looking for, after COVID, we started looking for family that we could move close to, or people that we could share life with a little bit more, and so on our list was Calgary, Kelowna, and Landmark, and uh, I tell people, they're like, oh yeah, Calgary, that sounds nice, Kelowna, that sounds nice, Landmark, where's Landmark? It's like dead center Canada, it's so awesome, And uh, so we had sort of decided to move, and then um, we do really try and follow God's leading in our lives, and uh, let him kind of dictate, and we just try and obey. And so we had decided, logically, that it might be a good idea to move, and to uh, me be more present with the kids, we can get a bigger home, I could get my two girls to sleep in separate rooms, and create a lot more peace in the home, and... uh, so we were looking, and so we had lots of financial reasons to move, lots of logical reasons to move, but we were waiting for a God reason, a a real reason to say, that is God's plan for us. Um, and so we just kind of waited and held on, and um, I was talking to my brother-in-law and sister here about, hey, what kind, what does it look like out there? I've never been to Landmark. I was... I lived in Winnipeg when I was 7 to 10, so, you know, just 20-odd years ago. Um, So it wasn't a super fresh memory. So we were trying to figure that out, and I started to look for some jobs and just to see if there could be a future here. Um, Yeah, we were just sort of in a holding pattern for a little while, and um, there some changes happened at Flatland. The previous director ended up... Uh, deciding to move on, and they were sort of looking for a director for a little while. I had always loved ministry work, and uh, we strived for a long time, and moved before to like go for a ministry job, and um, yeah, it just sort of happened that uh, through the connection of Paul, he connected me with Peter, who was the chairman of the board and peter and i had this odd conversation back in oh maybe september of last year and it was like we both got along really well we both have sort of the same heart for the future of the youth for christ ministry here in landmark and then we both said to each other boy but this seems like a long shot to make it eh? (laughs) like for us to move all the way here um and then for them to be able to wait long enough uh for our new director to arrive. But in God's timing, everything worked out, and I'm just very thankful to be here. Um, yeah, we lived in Winnipeg, or we lived... I lived in Winnipeg when I was seven. I come from a family of 10 kids, and so we all moved to BC, or eight, ten, eight of the 10 of us moved to BC with my parents. And from there, I started, started to see them all sort of... Uh, move away and make their own plans. But we were at a family church for a long time, just when we first got married. And I thought, like, that's it. That's the path forward, is if I want to be in ministry, either I got to go be a missionary, which is not something that was on the table for us with four young kids, uh, or go and look for a a full-time ministry job. Um, And so, yeah, for five years, I spent sort of a prolonged internship at a church uh, doing everything I could to get that church to break out of its walls. Lived in a hard area of Surrey, and there was lots of need. And the church was not representative of the local area. So we spent a long time just feeding people, hosting people, working with the public school just to try and make everything just slightly better in Jesus' name, right? Um, And from there, uh, we ended up moving churches to Lana's Family's Church. And through that, we were invited to help plant church in a little town called Princeton. And uh, Princeton is about two hours into the mountains, or two and a half hours into the mountains away from the lower mainland. And that was very exciting. We get to sort of plant a branch of the church that we were going to and bring new life to a small town, all things that we really loved. Um, So we moved there in January, and God's timing, we don't always understand. Uh, COVID hit in March (laughs) and uh, moving to a small town when the government is telling you don't meet anybody new it was a little bit difficult to like (laughs) you know start a new church Uh, but we gave it our best shot for a good year and a half and then ended up moving back to the lower mainland had our fourth child so we wanted to be closer to family and yeah from there we were thinking about what's next where do we where do we move to next and that is what brought us to having that conversation of Should we move to Landmark? This sounds like a good idea. Peter sounds like a great guy. We'd be close to family. There's really good churches. I think we can make it happen. And uh, yes, we sort of made the decision to go for it late November. And by March, I was talking to U-Haul, trying to find a way to get here. Um, Yeah, and so truthfully, we moved here. uh, People would see for a job, right? But I believe we moved here for God's plan. Um, and I'm really excited about what the future of Flatland, Youth for Christ, and Landmark looks like. Uh, Just a quick summer update of what we plan on doing. Um, So this summer we're going to have three people on staff. We're hiring a summer intern. Um, Really excited about that. Um, We're going to continue our Bible and breakfast devotions program through the summer. So that's we feed kids breakfast. They come a few times a week, and we read the Bible together. Um, We're going to be adding a junior drop-in night for the summer, um, trying to reach younger kids. My daughter's very excited because she's going to be allowed to go, grades five through to seven. Um, And then something I'm very excited about is uh, this summer we're doing our first step into a life skills class. And I was looking at, like, what did I need to know if I wanted to move out right at 18? I needed to know how to, like, build my IKEA furniture or fix a broken up chair that I got. I needed to make sure my car could get to and from work. And I needed to make sure I could at least feed myself something healthy if I didn't want to eat out. So this, uh, this summer, we're going to be teaching those three things to as many students as we can find to come during the day. Um, we're going to teach them to build and fix things, starting with planter boxes. We're going to teach them how to do light maintenance on a car. And then we're going to teach them how to cook something simple and healthy that they can make. Um, So yeah, it seems if I was having a conversation with a non-Christian, I might say, yeah, I moved to Landmark for this job. But really, I moved here to uh, follow God's plan and to help build the kingdom of God in Landmark in maybe a slightly different way that's been done before. I just want to take a moment to say thank you to this church and to the churches in Landmark for being such diligent and faithful supporters of a ministry like Flatland. Um, Really, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. You guys have made a way that not only can I step into a firm foundation of a job, um, but there's a strong program here that we can start with uh, to reach first the teenagers, but all the young people in Landmark and the surrounding area. And I just want to say thank you. The church here and the other churches have just been really diligent in their support and really faithful. So I wanted to say thank you. Um, I'm not from Landmark, but I'm also not from Youth for Christ, which is the organi- organization we partner with to run uh, Flatland, uh, which means I sort of have a, uh, I don't know how anybody's done it before, which is a positive, I think, but also maybe a weakness. Because I might step into landmines I didn't know, but I also have the chance to bring in some new, uh, maybe some new ideas. Um, but the first way that I look at that is I see, OK, well, what models can I follow? And because we partner with YFC, they sort of give us a model and a mandate of how to go ahead and, go ahead and do the work. Uh, so what is the work? Um, our sort of mission statement, at the heart, is we exist to see every young person living fully in Christ, and we do that first by being who we are, and that's as a staff person, but also as a organization. We're centered on Christ. We're called to the mission of the work. We're committed to relationships, uh, and YFC they like to say we're seriously fun. I like to like do a slash crazy. Like, it takes a certain somebody to be like, yeah, I'm going to move to Manitoba to work with kids. It's going to be awesome, right? (laughs) We're a little bit crazy, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, And so, what do we do? How does the actual mission statement work out? Um, It's guided by this principle. We engage and equip youth to know and follow Jesus. We engage in relationships and proximity to meet them where they are with contextualized programming. We equip, um, we equip them to know and follow Jesus. We equip them uh, in activities and programming that adds value and relationships uh, that adds value to our relationships with youth, producing fruit such as renewed character, healthy relationships, joyful service in the community, and a clear purpose and identity. And we equip them to know Jesus. There is clear, we're clearly communicating the message of the gospel. And that's very key for me. Inviting youth, to place, inviting youth to place their faith in Jesus. And finally, equipping youth, engaging and equipping youth to know and follow Jesus. Following Jesus is not just a one-time decision. It's engaging in discipleship as a lifelong follower of Jesus with the purpose of having their identity rooted in Christ. Um, and so I hope to do that. That's, I've been here for three months, and we've already have a great foundation of doing a lot of those things. Um, But I just see lots of opportunities for growth, lots of opportunities to build uh, a great program, but programs that seek to uh, engage and equip youth to know and follow Jesus. So yes, because we're connected with YFC, there's bigger YFC chapters, like in Winnipeg, where they do rock climbing and all these really cool things. And then in Altona, they're building an airplane with the kids, right? Um, and there's lots of other physical models that I can be like, oh, what are they doing over there? Let's see if we can borrow that over here. But the primary thing that, we need to come, that I need to come back to as the leader but that we come back to as a staff is what did Jesus do? How did Jesus model discipleship? How did Jesus model journeying with people where they were? And my favorite story about this is uh, the road to Emmaus. So... If you guys want to pull up your Bibles, it's Luke 24, starting in verse 13. Uh, It's about 20 verses. I'm going to read it. Bear with me. Um, It's just one of my favorite stories of the whole Bible. But some context. Jesus was just crucified, and the disciples are starting to hear some rumors about him being resurrected, but they don't know what to believe. The person they had just placed all their hope in, misguided or not, the person they had just placed all of their future in, Died in a very public way, and now there's some strange rumors coming about, about him being resurrected, and they just don't know what to believe. Um, so the walk to Emmaus. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. I think seven miles is from here to Lorette. Okay? Um as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked, and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. This is the first instance of what I like to call uh, Jesus magic in this story. There's just a little bit of like awesome Jesus things that happen. But God kept them from recognizing him. So Jesus asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, strange name, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. And I love that Jesus is like playing a a part or playing a bit here. Um, The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. This all happened three three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you heard it said. You find it so hard to believe that all all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And Jesus' magic part two, and at that moment, he disappeared. This is so key right here. They then said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on the way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and others who had gathered with them. The others had said, the Lord has really risen. He has appeared to Peter. So in this story, we see three things. First, we see the disciples' journey away from Jerusalem, lost, hurting, and then they encounter Jesus. Second, Jesus approaches them, and I see this as, in their context, tells of how God is moving in what they've experienced in their story, and how that story is actually about Jesus. And their hearts are open to the truth. And finally, in a moment of hospitality, Jesus is revealed, and the disciples' lives are changed. So the first part is a journey of disillusionment, lost hope, and encounter. The disciples were lost and brokenhearted on their way out of Jerusalem. Their hope in Jesus was lost with his death. They had heard some odd rumors and were now very confused. Verse 13 speaks of the hope that they had once had. So at this point, they do not believe that Jesus has risen, um, that was now gone with Jesus' death. And they know that the man they had decided to follow, they had given up their lives to follow, was now no more. And then they decided to have a seven-mile walk. So I don't know if you guys have ever walked seven miles. It's a bit of a distance, Google Maps tells me it would take me just about three hours to walk to Lorette, right? And that's in my, like, comfy Walmart shoes and my, you know, nice clothes. Um, this is the heat of the day because they're walking just before dinnertime. And so picture yourself as a good uh, way for me to really understand scripture is to sort of picture myself in it. So, um, and because of my job, I get to know a lot of teenagers, and it sort of brings me back 10, 15 years to when I was a teenager. And uh, it's good for us all to sort of have that mental experience of going back to that time in our lives. Um, so picture yourself on a walk to Lorette as a broken-hearted teenager. You're not walking fast. You're kicking, you're frustrated, your arms are crossed. You're going like this. Maybe you're listening to music way too loud. Um, Now add hills, so it would take a little bit longer, right? Add the heat of the day and you're wearing sandals. This was not a quick jaunt across to the other town, right? This was was a bit of a journey. So Jesus met them where they were as a stranger. He approached them and acted ignorant to what was happening and allowed them to share where they were at in processing. Jesus then journeyed with them and talked with them. And just a there's just a moment here that they don't really understand who they've encountered yet, right? They're just still brokenhearted, and they're like, how come you don't understand? What do you mean you don't understand? Jesus just died? You don't even know who that is? Come on! And they're like, um, they don't really understand who they've encountered yet on the road. Um, But they don't understand that their lives are about to change, right? When we encounter Jesus during these tough moments, these hard transition times, Um, everything in our life can change. Uh, So there's this TV show that I have not watched. I'm just telling you I have not watched it. Uh, But a lot of pastors talk about it. It's called The Chosen TV Show. Um, I was scrolling on my phone, as you do the other day, just like Instagram reels, whatever, wasting time, not being a very good dad. And uh, I saw this ad for this TV show because I guess it's going on regular TV now. Um, And there was just this one moment, I think in the very first episode... Where the Mary character in the show, um, she talks to some other person about meeting Jesus for the first time. And she just encapsulates it so well. She captures the heart of what it means to encounter Jesus for the first time. And uh, this is what she says. I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. And I just love that quote. It's just, man, it like reached through my phone and just like, pay attention to this. This is what God does. Um, The second part of this is the journey and the Holy Spirit's work. So what Jesus did not do is Jesus being God could have said, you're actually just about to run back to Jerusalem, so let's just stop walking. I'll save you guys three, four, five hours of your time. Come on, this is a little bit more logical, makes a little bit more sense. I'll just point you guys back, I'm Jesus, hello, let's move forward, right? He didn't go into dad mode, right? I'm like, oh, don't do that right now, don't vacuum that way, right? He didn't go into dad mode. Um, and then he also didn't go harsh. There was a little bit of a rebuke, a little bit of a correction, but it wasn't, you idiots, how come you don't know, don't you know? He didn't uh, He didn't go extra harsh, right? There was a little bit of a correction. Um, And then key, I think for us in our Canadian mindset, he also didn't think to himself, oh, they've got this wrong, but I'm not going to correct them because that would be uncomfortable and that might create some conflict and then just walk along. He stopped what he was doing. He leaned in, let them share where they were at. So what Jesus did do, uh, (laughs) he did what I want to do several times a week. He looked at... uh, lost young person and said, you fool, right? Uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, sometimes I want to say that, right? And then sometimes I want someone to say that to me, being like, you fool. I, I, yeah, I should have recognized that. I'm sorry. Um, but he you, what Jesus did do is he used their context to share God's redemptive story. Um, he, he shared the part that God plays in their story and how that story is really about Jesus. So Good for us to remember, Uh, he's speaking to ancient Israelites, right? 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, or in the middle of a road between Jerusalem and Emmaus, uh, these people's lives were dictated by Scripture, 100%. They had daily prayer rhythms dictated by Scripture, weekly Sabbath rituals, not just, oh yeah, I go to church on Sunday, but it was like at 6 p.m., we light one candle on a Friday night and we do all this work beforehand to make sure no one has to do any extra work. And it was an extremely intentional Sabbath. Um, So they had weekly Sabbath rituals. And they also had seven holidays and feasts throughout the year dictated by Scripture. These people knew their Bible backwards and forwards. So, and they also knew Jesus. They were also in relationship with Jesus before this happened. Um, So, Jesus used their context to share God's redemptive story. And the second part of this is what I believe is the Holy Spirit's work. The disciples or the followers, the people who walked with Jesus, later described it as this, a heart-burning moment during their conversation with Jesus. Their hearts were opened and impressed upon by the Spirit through Jesus' teachings. And I know, because I am the son and the grandson of preachers and pastors, I know that we use a lot of ministry tools chasing that moment, looking for a way that we can say, wow, the Holy Spirit moved today. And ultimately, we sometimes, we try and force a work that only God can do. So we bring it back. And we pray, God, would you move in the hearts of those we minister to? Help us to do the work that you have called us to do. And please, God, do only the work that you can do. And impress upon the heart and causes, and cause these hearts to burn for you. Finally, the final act of this story is uh, summarized in the hospitality and revealing of Jesus. At the end of their journey, the two disciples asked Jesus to stay with them. And Jesus, again, is playing a bit of a character. He's like, oh, no, you guys go ahead. But they're like, no, please, stay with us. And so Jesus says, okay. At the dinner table, when they broke bread and Jesus prayed, he was revealed to them. Then with some more of that Jesus magic, he disappeared. I just personally love that Jesus always tries to include food. There is something about sharing a meal with somebody that is actually, truthfully, spiritual. When you say, oh, let me think about that while I chew, and you come up with a a genuine response to what somebody is saying. Um, And then also when you eat and talk together, you can cover a lot of ground in relationships. And maybe even during these moments, more of Jesus can be revealed to the people we're sitting with. Um, I love this story. I've loved this story for a long time. Back when I thought I was gonna be a pastor, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna put down a sermon series on Emmaus and I'm just gonna have it booked for the next 15 years because I love this story. Um, And it's really critical that we understand that this is God's heart for us. Not only does he want to journey with us, but he wants us to journey with others. So I was baptized at seven um, and raised in a Christian home, as you can imagine. Uh, I acted right in a lot of ways right up until I became a teenager. And then I lied excellently in a lot of ways uh, to hide how I was acting. I became really good at hiding my really stupid decisions, right? Between schoolwork or lack of it, between girls and parties or a lack of them, I was making a lot of stupid decisions. Um, Finally, at 17... God and I had a moment. I was stuck in my own sin, and God sort of, I was just frustrated. You ever been a frustrated 17-year-old? Um, there's, every 17-year-old's frustrated. Uh, I, had a, I had a moment, I was stuck, and I was like, God, what is this life even? I don't understand this anymore. And uh, he corrected me, he's like, you fool. And he started ringing the alarm bells. He's like, you keep doing this, this is what your life is gonna look like. Sad, lonely, addicted, depressed, done, right? In that same moment of him ringing the alarm bells, telling me that I was being a fool, he was also recalling the moments where, ev- where other people were Jesus to me, right? My parents, my brothers and sisters, youth leaders, friends, they took time out of what they were doing, how they were acting, their own story. They took time to get invested in my story and to point me to Jesus, and in that moment, God raised me up out of the muck and mire of my own life and set me on a solid rock. In First Corinthians, it says, uh, Some plant, some water, but God gives the growth. And I am very eternally grateful for those in my life who chose to be like Jesus to me. So that when the time came, when God decided to give some growth, to raise me up, I could step onto the firm foundation that God gave me through them. Like that quote, I was one way that day, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was Him. So, yes, I will know Him for the rest of my life. God is so wonderful, so wonderful. He wants that for all of us. He wants the brokenhearted to be whole, He wants the lost to be found, and He wants the hurting to be healed. He loves you and He loves me so much. So I want to say, if you have yet to experience that moment where Jesus is revealed in your story, if you've yet to experience that moment where you see Jesus face to face, but you have had moments where your heart is burning, lean into it. Ask God for direction. Ask God for guidance. You could pray like I did at 17, very frustrated, very angry. God, what is going on here? So... Where, how do we go forward? What is the step for us as believers or as potential believers here in Landmark, uh, for us who want to build the kingdom of God here? What is the journey forward? How do we journey like Jesus did? First is we need to strive to meet people where they are at, the lost ones, the hurting ones, and the dear-to-our-heart ones. Those that we can join and journey with. We need to be current with what they are experiencing. So no, we don't need to engage in all the apps. We don't need to engage in sin or anger or frustration again. But God has given us the gift of empathy where we can remember what that was like. And if we cannot speak the language, our intentional journey with those we decide to journey with will be a lot harder. Second is we need to remember that all journeys are different. From the outside, my walk to Emmaus looked like five steps and a hop, right? But from the inside, from the reality, I was miles away from God for too long. Uh, One of my favorite things about Jesus is that he is often noted in the Bible as looking on people with compassion. Um, The journey may be shorter for some and longer for others, But we need to remember that God gives the growth. Our job is to walk with them where they are. I don't know much about farming or gardening, but I have, or my wife has, like four little uh, sunflowers popping out. And there's no flower on them. There's no nothing yet. But if I went, wow, these are sunflowers? I'm going to harvest them. What would I do? I would just kill them, right? Um, We need to understand Look on compassion with where people are and journey with them where they are, right? And we also don't need to be like, let me save you 10 years of heartbreak. You need to get saved. That's amazing, but it does not always work. Um, And then finally, we have a job to do. So first, we need to get close to Jesus. If we are not close to Jesus, all of our work is for naught. Um... Secondly, after Jesus journeyed with, the, journeyed with those disciples, he went made a few more Jesus magic appearances. And then uh, he gave us a job to do. And that job is to go into all the world and make disciples. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Landmark, Tache, southern Manitoba, and to the ends of the earth. Um, and finally... Go and join in someone's journey. Personally, I have four little journeys that I get to join in with every single day, right? That's primary. Secondly, due to the nature of my job, I have a building full of young kids that actually have room for someone to join their journey, whether it's an open invitation or not, okay? It's, they're looking for somebody, they just don't know what they're looking for, and we get the chance of journeying alongside them. But if that's not for you, the open invite, we're looking for volunteers. But if that's not for you, um, first, who are you related to? Right? Someone said, uh, love starts at home. Who can we, what journeys in our home, in our lives, who are the dear ones to us that we can join in, to, join in with, right? Um, I want to say, this starts with your children. Right? We have the chance to join the journey of our children, whether they are 35 or 5, whether they're 65 or 5. Right, We have the chance, in one way, to join them where they are in their journey and do what we can to point them to Jesus. Um, whoever, it is, we, whoever it is, whoever you are, whoever is in your life or not in your life, um, we all have those who are lost, who are hurting, and who are dear to our hearts we can go and be like Jesus to them. We can journey with them in a way that they understand. We can point them to Jesus in a way that makes sense. And we have the hope to be heard and a desperate prayer that Holy Spirit, do only the work you can do in their life as I journey with them. Um, yeah, so we have some things happening this summer. Open invite. If you don't have someone to actively journey with, Come and journey with us and my room full of kids. We're doing some cool things this summer. But the kingdom of God is built when we work with the people that God has placed around us, right? Um, I talk with my kids all the time that if you don't learn how to love your brother or sister, you're going to have a hard time long-term loving your friends, right? Um, If you don't learn to respect your parents, you're going to have a very hard time Uh, respecting and bosses or future spouses, right? And uh, the other thing that I say to them, because sometimes they are extremely helpful or the intention of being extremely helpful, and uh, they be like, okay, Dad, I'm going to do the ditches. Or, okay, Dad, I'm going to vacuum. Or, okay, Dad, I'm going to do this. And uh, I'm like, okay, well, hold on. Help is help in the way that I need it not always in the way you want to give it. So as we go and journey with other people, as we pray for the courage to just be just a little bit more intentional, just a little bit more, let's sit down and have a meal together. Um, As we model and talk and purposefully invite people into this walk with Jesus, um, we get get the chance to build the kingdom of God in a way that often is neglected, right? In a way it's like, come to church, the pastor will preach to you, it'll be good, right? This is saying, I've got a really hard seven-mile walk ahead of me, would you come with me? And us saying, okay, I'll do it. Um, So if I can just pray for us as we go forward. Father, thank you very much for this church. Thank you very much for how they have uh, stood the test of time and done everything they could to reach Landmark in a way that is new and reach Landmark in a way that will make an eternal difference, God. Father, I pray for each person, each heart represented here, Father. If they do not know you, Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Cause those hearts to burn, to be open to receiving the wonderful message of God, the wonderful hope of Jesus, where we were one way and now we are another. Now we are completely different. And Father, for those who are further along in that journey, God, would you give them guidance? Holy Spirit, direct them to people, have divine encounters where you're like, wow, I could be a part of that person's journey. Of course, yeah, they listen to me, I listen to them. God, help us to go out and find people that we can journey with in a way that is much more intentional. Give us the courage to slow down. Give us the courage to not reach for a tract or reach for a, hey, just come to church with me, but reach for a, wow, that sounds extremely hard. Give us those moments where we can see the sadness written across people's faces. We have to slow down for that moment. Help us as we go forward today, God. Um, Thank you very much for this church. Thank you very much. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.